everyone. Welcome to episode 22 of Extended Cut. AKA the Deuce Deuce. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to call it that. No one should call it that. Jake can. Um, We are here to introduce the Elite Eight. We're going to review A Quiet Place that's been out for a few weeks. And we're also going to give a really short, non-spoiler fast forward of Rampage. Yeah. um, We made this joke on our last podcast, our superhero special. Um, I'm going to make it again. There's not a lot of deep diving to be done into Rampage. It will be quick. (laughs) It'll be a quick one. We love Dwayne Johnson, um, so no need to disparage him at length. Um, as has become tradition, and I probably don't need to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, um, we are not doing a new segment this episode. We're just going to continue on with the superhero bracket, which I think is going swimmingly. I think so, too. Um, we'll preview that, and then we'll jump into the other stuff. So no sense in delaying the inevitable. The first matchup that we had in the Sweet 16 was one seed, the Dark Knight, versus five seed, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Dark Knight won 100% to 0%. Damn. I think that the reason for the kind of disparity, even though this should have been a close matchup, was that we're to the point now where the Dark Knight, there's both movies are kind of the same category of good superhero movie, and the Dark Knight's just better. Like, when it when it got the one vote against it, um, and I swear I'll let this go eventually, but when it got no, the one won't. vote against it from Batman Forever, I think that was somebody saying, like, this is the Batman I grew up with. At this point, like, we're in the kind of same genre era setup of superhero movies, in my opinion. Well, and I think if, I think when you think of The Dark Knight, you just think, like, epic. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a lot, like, there's not going to be a lot of movies in this genre that can compare. No. You so, know? It walks over Spider-Man 100 to 0. Spider-Man is a good movie. Um, not that good, though. Not good enough to compare. Um, the next matchup that we had, though, was two-seed The Avengers taking on Cinderella's six-seed Chronicle that has made an improbable run into the Sweet 16. Uh, Chronicle's run came to a screeching halt here. The Avengers won 71% to 29%. Interesting. Yeah, it was actually... Chronicle still got a, some love out there. I'll take it. Here's what I will say. The Avengers is important because it set it like redefined how we're going to start doing superhero movies. Like now a superhero movie has to be a cinematic universe leading to a massive team up because of the which Avengers. Is, which is exhausting. Right. It's exhausting. The Avengers though is iconic for that but the avengers as a movie doesn't do anything all that interesting like you have i mean you have some face you have some like from a like an actual like cinematic standpoint like it's like faceless aliens no one can even tell you what the aliens are called except for diehard marvel i mean maybe the villains are faceless and don't do anything new but like the fact that the avengers even exists is groundbreaking right like no one had done that before the premise of the movie is groundbreaking which is why it wins and why it's in the elite eight the actual movie itself is not nearly as strong as i even think chronicles like storyline is like avengers has no real plot i mean the plot is the get plot all is the superheroes the good guy- together yeah the plot is the good guys punch the bad guys until the bad guys go away yeah but i mean what's wrong with that Nothing. I'm just, I'm more lauding Chronicle, how Chronicle managed to get 29% of the vote yeah. against the Avengers when that should have been the landslide. It's because Chronicle does something really interesting with the way it looks at superheroes and like the actual implications of, of 
hormonal, temperamental 16-year-olds got superpowers. Mm-hmm. Like, The Avengers is the ultimate fun superhero movie, in my opinion. And Chronicles a little deeper than that. Avengers is more Flash. Chronicles a little more Sizzle. And I'm spending a lot of time kind of disparaging a movie that I think rightfully got into the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, that leads us to our first Elite Eight matchup, The Dark Knight versus The Avengers. Which I think this is epic. This is a cool matchup. But it's one seed versus two seed, so it's what you want. Yeah. Um, I I'm th- honestly surprised. Like, we are t- actually talking about this pre record ing. Um, I'm surprised that the Avengers and the Dark Knight will not both make it to the final four. Yeah. Just the way we seeded it, it's weird to me they ended up facing each other. I mean, it's a one and a two seed. So, yeah. um, I don't think the Avengers, the Avengers might get some votes. I don't think this one's going to be close. I think the Dark Knight walks again. I think in terms of four. plot and like quality, yeah, it's going to be the The Avengers Dark is not that well written of a movie. I want to rewatch it though. We can it's rewatch it. It's been a long time. We will actually we will definitely rewatch it. I think though The Avengers is more popcorn and novelty. And I think on a critical rewatch you'll be disappointed. Yeah. Especially and I don't know if this will come through on a critical rewatch of just the Avengers, but like the Avengers was immediately preceded by the original Thor, which ironically lost to Chronicle in the first round. Mm. Um, the original Thor has Loki fall off the bridge to Asgard and seemingly die, and then he's just in the Avengers with it's no explanation. He's Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. You can't hire Tom Hiddleston and then kill him off in the first movie. No, like, he impossible. was a way bigger hit than they planned. They just didn't even attempt to write it in. Yeah, but I mean, The Dark Knight does have a, a plot hole. Yeah. The, I'm just saying, if we're talking on plot holes alone. The general plot hole in The Dark Knight, like, the plot hole is more that it's just left unexplained. And that if you know, if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a scene where the Joker crashes Harvey Dent's party looking for Harvey Dent. Iconic. Rachel mouths off to him and he throws her over a ledge and Batman has to jump after her to save her. He saves her on the car and we cut to the next scene. And the movie never addresses why Batman left the Joker upstairs unattended with all these rich guests. Yeah. Now, and this is coming from Christopher Nolan, Dark Knight stands. They will point out that the Joker was there for two people. Harvey Dent, who had already been evacuated. Like, Bruce got him out of there. And then Batman, who just jumped out of the window. So probably the Joker, the Joker has no interest in killing people if it doesn't serve a point. That's true. So he probably just left the party, honestly. That'd be but the most Joker thing about. But you don't know that. Exactly. It's unexplained, whereas literally Marvel just forgets to explain why Loki's not dead anymore. They don't need to explain it. It's just because it's Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> He is a god. I mean, if you told me that, like, gods can't truly die. Like, he died, but he was immediately alive again. Yeah. I could buy that. No, I think... Also, we're talking superhero movies. That's literally the plot of every comic that's ever existed. They (laughs) never actually die. But they they give reasons for why they're alive. There's never been a hero die and just magically is alive the next issue. Really? Yeah. You can't find a single comic? No. They uh, there there are all sorts of contrived devices to bring them back to life, but they're never brought back to life without an explanation. So moving on, <laughs> um, I back to it. Just one more note. I think the biggest difference between these two, and we touched on it, is the villain and their subsequent motivations. I think the Avengers has a, the Avengers has Loki just trying to ruin things because he's a Loki. He's the god of mischief. He's the god of mischief, which is a fine motivation for him. Um, and then a bunch of aliens that are actually called the Chitari, but I don't think most people know or care about that. 
but they do exist and they serve their purpose well, which is to exist in large numbers. So the Avengers can dispatch large numbers of them. Um, whereas the dark Knight has the Joker. And I think that's the biggest difference in this matchup. I mean, Heath Ledger's Joker is one of the greatest movie villains of all time. So. Yeah, no, he is. And the if Avengers that is the, if, if that's the straw, yeah. like, that will kick off the Avengers. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, moving down to the next region, we have one seed Spider-Man two versus four seed, the dark Knight rises. This one was tough. In fact, it actually tied 50, 50 and me and Katie didn't exactly know what to do with that. So what we decided to do was rewatch both movies. We rewatched both recently, um, and discuss it, dissect it and come up with a judgment call. And the judgment call from the extended cut panel of judges is Spider-Man two. Spider-Man two is an easy winner here. Honestly, Guys, it's so crazy. It's one of those movies that I'm sure you guys haven't seen in a long time. Like I hadn't seen it in a long time. And for being made in 2004, yeah. 2004, it holds up so well. Like I still don't know how they made Spidey swinging from the buildings look so realistic mm-hmm. with such I don't want to say primitive CGI cuz that sounds kind of bitchy. I mean it was like but I mean, it was like, like four tech cycles ago, though. Yes, forever ago. Yeah, and it, it holds up so well. It's a great movie. Yeah. The Spider-Man 2 is not the best superhero movie of all time, in my opinion, but it is the best comic book movie of all time. This movie does not shy away from its comic book roots. In fact, it takes its comic book roots and like puts, like, puts them on full display. Mm-hmm. Like, these are exact panels from comic books. Our characters are going to have bizarre soliloquies because we can't do thought bubbles in a movie. But and it's something that as you're watching it, you can see the panel. The you movie the made page. me happy. Yes. Like, it wasn't a deep thinker. Like, just watching it, I was like... No, this... it was a deep thinker. No, it has moments. But, I mean, like, the plot's not exponentially deep. Do you think? Well, I don't... I mean, the fact that he has to fight a villain. Like, yeah. okay. That's fine. But, I mean, there's a lot of themes in there about choice and what it means to be a hero. That's And true. him kind of losing and also at the same time rejecting his heroic tendencies as Spider-Man. And it's sort of the same themes that are going on in The Dark Knight Rises when Batman isn't able to be Batman anymore. Like, he's stuck in that hole for 10 years. And so they both tackle the same sort of thing in different ways. Um they both show how shitty it is to be a superhero yeah. in different ways. Perhaps Peter, Spider-Man 2 paints that better than any other movie. Like, oh, it yeah. becomes abundantly clear, like, superheroes don't get paid to do this. No. That's why Iron Man and Batman are the way they are, because they're independently wealthy. They can afford to do mm-hmm. this. I, but in The Dark Knight Rises, it takes a toll on his body. takes yeah. a toll on his health. In Spider-Man 2, it takes a toll on his emotional stability mm-hmm. and his confidence. And every, literally, for Peter, it's everything going on in his life sucks Yeah, in Spider-Man 2 until he chooses to be a hero and yeah. make that sacrifice for Mary Jane, for Aunt May, for the city. Like, it's a lot of the same themes, only I feel like Spider-Man 2 is a thousand times more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And, and like it's you better said, paced. Yeah, it's better paced. And it's the comic aspects of it are so much more fun yeah and i think sam raimi handled the character so well because when peter does reject the spider-man role for a good chunk of the movie honestly he's not spider-man for a while Mm -hmm. he genuinely seems to be enjoying his life yeah as a regular guy and his life isn't getting that much better though he's still tripping over stuff and like having like people like knocking his books yeah it's just (laughs) it's just good to not have the pressure of being a hero for a while yeah also me and Katie discussed both these things. A, this is the most New York City movie ever made. Yeah. 
<laughs> without a doubt. Without B, being like, without saying New York in every sentence. B, people love to chastise these Spider-Man movies for casting Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker because he was too old. Tobey Maguire looks like a child in yeah, Spider-Man 2. He does. He's supposed to be in college and he looks like he's not old enough to be in college. Not just his appearance, but his voice too. Yeah. Like he's a good Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. There's not anything. There, Spider-Man 2 does not have a blemish in my opinion. Its highs may not be as high as other movies in this bracket, but it's it never hits a low point. No, I agree. Um, so it advances to the Elite Eight. The next matchup, um, Batman Begins, historic undefeated run through the bracket. <laughs> uh, it finally took a blemish, but it won pretty comfortably in the end. Um, it won 70% to 30% over Superman. So Interesting. Th- so three seed over the two seed here. This is the lone upset we have in our Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. Everything else is one versus two, so apparently we did a good job of seeding. It's fine. Um, yeah, Batman... So, and you knew Superman was probably going to lose this matchup. I mean, it had, it had kind of been winning based on nostalgia and a series of easy matchups for it. It had to beat the Rocketeer and Dread yeah, to that's get into the Sweet hard. 16. Um, and when it ran up against its first actual like competition, it got smothered by Batman Begins. We talked a lot about Batman Begins the last episode, so I'll kind of rein it in a little bit. But <laughs> Batman Begins is really, really good and a nice... It's based heavily on Frank Miller's Batman Year One, and it took those roots and modernized them in a way that I think Nolan is one of the few directors could have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's an easy winner, even if Donner's Superman is a classic. I agree. Um, that sets up the Elite Eight matchup, another interesting, and another one versus two matchup, Spider-Man 2 versus Batman Begins. I don't know. I- I, I don't of, know where to go with this one. I kind one. of want to rewatch Batman Begins now. <laughs> oh, I said it's a one versus two matchup. It's a one versus three matchup. Yeah. Excuse me. It's the only one versus three matchup. Yeah. Um, because Spider-Man 2 is so fresh in my mind and my heart is so full from watching it. But I also, when we did watch Batman Begins a few weeks ago, we just kind of caught the back half of it. Mm-hmm. So I forget the pacing. I forget so, a lot of the key moments, you know? Yeah. I I definitely not holding myself to this um and i don't even feel really good about saying right now i'm leaning batman begins because one thing batman begins have that most superhero movies can't claim is it has a very strong final act Mm -hmm. and most superhero movies i think really lose their footing in the final act um whereas batman begins i think the scene with you know the the train heading towards the center of gotham city and the fear of gas getting released and the fight with ra's al ghul all come together really nicely Mm -hmm. so that's where i'm leaning right now i don't know for and the ending i mean just based on the matchup, the ending of Spider-Man Two is a little bit. It's a it's a little bit odd. Like her great. running, well, her running away from the wedding feels very tacked on, does it not? But I mean, I think that totally adds to the comic book element. It does add to the comic book element. It just seems like it would have been a better ending for like Mary, Jane, like that shot that they have of Mary Jane hugging her fiance and looking at Peter as he flies away. Like that would I know, have been. But then we get Mary Jane running through Central Park wearing a wedding dress, and, and she also says, "Go get him, Tiger." It's the best thing. Yeah, no, it needs to stay. And I guess we also get the Harry Osborn finds his dad's stash and gets scene. ready for Spider Man Three. I guess when I was talking about the ending, like the, I mean, we talked we talked about this with Wonder Woman too. The CGI. The CGI really bogs down in Spider-Man 2's final act. Yeah, 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 yeah. The limitations of the technology in 2004 finally become apparent. Yeah. When right at the end. Yeah, when they're doing the large-scale fusion reaction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is that is a very valid point. Moving down, we have we had one-seed Iron Man taking on five-seed Thor Ragnarok. Iron Man won with 91% of the vote. After watching Iron Man again, that was a no-brainer. Yeah, so 
I had some thoughts rewatching Iron Man. A, Iron Man, like, on the internet has this, like, reputation of being retroactively problematic because he's a war criminal. They definitely address that he has a lot of guilt over that. That's the entire plot. That's the entire <laughs> plot of the movie. Like, did, did we just forget that that happens? Like, yes, he is selling weapons in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. He also, like, the whole point of him, like, becoming Iron Man is because he doesn't want to do that anymore. He disbands the entire weapons division. I feel like it's one of those things where people vaguely remember and are really quick to be, like, SJW about it. Yeah. And they don't actually remember the entire plot of the movie, which there's nothing wrong with being social justice warrior. Like, that's no. fine. But also, like, make sure you have make done sh- all your research. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's something things. that someone said on the internet and everyone, like, was like, oh, my gosh, he did sell weapons in the Middle East. He yeah, was the, a war criminal. in the first 10 minutes? Yeah, that's in the first 10 Of a two and a half hour movie? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, one thing I realized when I was watching it is I miss OG Tony Stark. Like, yeah. I, I get the character development they've done, and I'm not really faulting Marvel for advancing the character because you have to do that to grow. Mm-hmm. But, like, Tony Stark was really fun when he was an asshole. Yeah. Like, this new, like, I feel guilty for Sokovia. It's Tony Stark is not nearly as fun no. as he used to be. No. Um, and he and you can just tell RDJ is, like, reveling in this character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that infamous story that, like, he literally, like, crashed the audition because nobody would give him an audition at the time. But he's like, this is my role. Yeah. And had a deal before the audition was done. Amazing. So, I mean, he was the perfect guy for that role. Um, Thor Ragnarok's fun. Um, this is where Thor Ragnarok didn't have quite enough substance to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, Iron Man gets into, the, like we were just talking about, like Real it world. gets into like the weapons dealing and Middle Eastern politics and a whole bunch of issues that Thor Ragnarok doesn't even try to touch on. Mm-hmm. Like Thor Ragnarok could, honestly, you know what Thor Ragnarok could have done and it wouldn't have been that hard? They could have done a movie about the refugee crisis. That we're having right now. Like, literally the entire... All the Asgardians are looking for a place to stay, live. Mm-hmm. And they just... But that's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> and th- But that's why I'm saying, like, that's why it couldn't hold up to Iron Man, in my opinion. Yeah. I will and say... And Iron Man it has an international storyline, but mm-hmm. it is relatively self-contained. Yeah, it's pretty much just fighting for control of a company. Yeah. Um, which is nice. I'll take like, it. <laughs> not seeing the giant blue laser shoot into the sky okay. and create a trash circle around it in the clouds. <laughs> And all of you know exactly what so I'm talking hateful. about because every superhero movie does it. Was nice. Um, I will say this: I think Iron Man's third act, like a lot of superhero movies, you start to watch it and you're like, "Whew, this is uh, really weighting down what was fun." Yeah. Um, like Jeff Bridges getting into a giant version of Iron Man's suit is not the most aesthetically pleasing battle. Another another movie where the visual effects weren't mm-hmm. necessarily up to par at the time. So if Thor Ragnarok had had an argument, it would have been comparing the third acts because Ra- Thor Ragnarok's final fight on the bridge is really awesome. Yeah. Um, but I It d- doesn't weigh it down. No, and it doesn't. I just th- I think Iron Man in- ended up carrying this because A, it's iconic. It kicked off the MCU. But B, Iron Man had something to say. And gave it the proper weight to discuss it. Yeah. Um, so moving... Like the humor didn't invalidate the message. No, not at all. Yeah. In, fa- in fact, I think the humor in a way accentuated it. Because mm-hmm. like Tony like very clearly didn't take anything seriously until after he saw the implications of dealing weapons into the Middle East. Yeah. Moving on. Um, I think this, this was not the closest matchup, obviously. Because we had one where we literally had to break a tie. But I think this was the most interesting matchup, in my opinion. We had two-seed Black Panther taking on three-seed Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Whew. Black Panther won 75 to 25. Wow. So, n- not as close as I thought it'd be. Mm-hmm. 
the only thing I can figure is I think a lot of people probably thought about the two movies the same way I think both of us did mm-hmm. that uh, Black Panther is a culturally significant movie in a way that Winter Soldier never attempted to be, much yeah. less could be. Yeah. And that Black Panther had a lot of actual, like, I don't know, had a lot of, like, dialogue and world building Style. and character depth to it. Yeah. Whereas Winter Soldier was very much like a, I don't know, Winter Soldier was, like, maybe the best beat up movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't want to say that it was, like, more cut and dry, because that... It kind of diminishes it a little bit, but Black Panther did something we have never seen before. Yeah. And I love T'Challa as a hero. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's so much to him. And I, I'm i just, like, drawn to him as a viewer more than I am to Cap. Yeah. So that was also kind of logic for me. Um. Yeah, I would say that's true. Um. I also, I, what ended up breaking the tie for me, because I was really torn on this one. I went with Black Panther because I was trying to think, I was like, what is what is the defining moment moment for me in each film? Mm-hmm. My defining moment in the Winter Soldier is the elevator fight scene, yes. which is one of the best choreographed oh, fight scenes so of good. all time. Yeah, but that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Whereas the defining moment in Black Panther for me was the scene in the casino, which was like ten minutes of just incredible amazing. filmmaking. Like it had James Bond vibes. It had spycraft. It had these amazing tracking shots up the staircases as they were fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, it had the amazing shot where they blow apart the briefcase full of chips, pan around a pillar, come to the other side, and we're back into the fighting action. Yeah, Like, Winter Soldier didn't touch anything on a filmmaking perspective like that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Winter Soldier ends up falling correctly. I think it probably should have been a little closer, but I understand that probably... This was not a stretch in logic to come to Black Panther, and probably a lot of our listeners yeah, agreed. I would agree. That sets up an Elite Eight matchup that is also very tough, as they all should be. One seed Iron Man versus two seed Black Panther. Whew. I'm leaning Black Panther on this one. Um, I feel like I'm leaning Black Panther. I don't know. I'm going to have to think on it. Logic on this is Black Panther's villain is so much better than yeah. Iron Man's. Jeff Bridges is... Iron Monger is fine, but it's it's that there's you, no depth to him. You can and also you can predict that he's the villain like the second you meet him, right? And whereas like Killmonger had legit beef, yeah, here. like there was a legit thing to be fighting for. Yeah, my the one thing that kind of draws me back that I loved about Iron Man, John Favreau got to direct Iron Man before Kevin Feige ruled Marvel with an iron fist, mm-hmm. and I think aesthetically the movie looks different than a lot of other Marvel movies. The mm-hmm. colors are very polished and pop. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a ton of contrast in the movie. Like, there's an actual color palette. Yeah, but Black Panther does the same thing. Black Panther sort of does, but then even it starts to mute down. And, like, I'm thinking about the fight sequence between the tribes that's happening in broad daylight on that grassy plain. See, you think of that, but I think of the dream sequence. And I The also dream think, sequence is beautiful. I also think of the fight, or not the fight, but the ceremony where, where he has to become king and has Damn, to Damn, that is a good ceremony. And it's all the All right, you've talked costumes. me out of it. Ugh. I mean, Black Panther's going to be up for best costuming at yeah. a minimum. You've talked so. me out of it. I, I do <laughs> think that that is a feather in Iron Man's cap that it does not feel controlled from a studio standpoint. No, it like, it feels like a filmmaker-driven movie. And Black Panther feels like 95% filmmaker-driven. But there's still that other 5% that you know Marvel made them include. Yeah, but, like, the fact that they gave Ryan Coogler 95%, yeah. like... Good. <laughs> Good. That's what they did. Just little things that are like a minor eyebrow raise, like having Everett Ross, a CIA yeah, yeah, agent, yeah. I could come do save without. the day. He when, does not save the you know, day. I mean, he blows the transport out of the sky I that's mean, running he weapons. Helps, but it's not yeah. like 
all up to him. But why not just have Shuri fly no, that plane? I we've had this conversation. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Like complete. We didn't need it. Yeah. Like Espe- the audience at this point, we're not idiots. Like you don't have to do that. No, especially when you consider the implications of what the CIA did in downtown Oakland mm-hmm. in the 80s with cocaine. And you're going to have a CIA agent rescue Wakanda from a poor kid from Oakland. Do you realize what you've done not there? Not a good idea. Yeah. No, it's an awful idea. So yeah. that little things like that that Iron Man didn't have to grapple with because they let Favreau make a Favreau movie. Yeah. Whereas Coogler got to make mostly a Coogler movie, but there were still those things where you could tell Marvel was like, we want Everett Ross in this movie. Yeah, I just, I still feel like that's not enough to pick one or the over the other. No, it's not. It's just, it's discussion. Like, details. like no, I, I think know. it's tough. Yeah. We're talking about probably Mar not probably. We're talking about definitively Marvel's two best solo movies. And maybe their best yeah. two movies in general. Like I don't think The Avengers is better than either of these movies. Ugh, Black Panther's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Um that's probably enough discussion on that. <laughs> Moving on to our final region. We had one seed Logan taking on four seed X Men first class. Logan wins with ninety percent of the vote. Kay. That makes sense. Yeah. They're both X Men movies. One is about Xavier's birth. One is about Xavier's death. Oh my God, stop. But I'm not ready. One is Oscar nominated and one is a fun movie that you saw with your friends. Yeah. Like, like Logan, Logan in like 10 years, I feel like Logan is going to age like a fine wine. Yeah. Like we're going to come back to Logan and be like, why didn't they just stop making X-Men movies for a while? Like the fact that we're, we're, we took Let's do some alcohol analogies here. The fact that we just took a Logan shot and then we're going to have to do a Dark Phoenix chaser. <laughs> In 10 years. Disgusting. <laughs> when it's made. <laughs> yeah. No, Lo- Logan is so good, though. Like, it's 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 up there with the Dark Knight for me. Like, I think, I think we are headed firmly towards a Logan Dark Knight final. Interesting. That's my opinion. Just, I don't see anything even in those two movies class. Okay. Um, I mean, and Logan's had a fairly tough... R- Right, like it had to take on Ang Lee's Hulk, had to take on the original X Men, it had to take on First Class. Like yeah. it's taken on the couple of things that could legitimately argue against it because of like origin stories, that sort of stuff. Like Logan wouldn't exist because of this. Yeah, and it's dispatched them. So I think it's going to be hard for anything else to knock Logan off. You may be right. Final matchup. This was the one that tortured Katie. This one was almost a tie, and then it got like three votes late Saturday. Mm-hmm. Like me and Katie went to Arkansas and I checked the voting like before we went to bed Saturday night and like it was tied and I woke up the next morning and Wonder Woman won with 62% of the vote. Oh my gosh. Incredibles got 38. So two seed Wonder Woman advances to face Logan. Um, Here's my thoughts on Wonder Woman over the Incredibles. I actually feel Incredibles should have won. I think Incredibles has so much going for it and it's almost a strong of a women's empowerment movie as Wonder Woman is, in my opinion. Because, like, it's literally the only movie where I've ever seen they take the strong man and make him, like, your character in distress. Like, they put him in the shackles, and then it's up to the mom to go find him and save him. Yeah. And she, like, has to, like, teach her kids how to do it. Like, that is such a role reversal from a gender st- standpoint that we typically get in movies. Um, I think that The Incredibles ends up losing because it's not live action. I think people just take Wonder Woman more seriously. I just, like, Wonder Woman is one of the most iconic superheroes that's ever been created, ever. And the fact that it took, I mean, she was invented in, what, 1940? 30? 
Yeah, I think it was 40. I mean, and it took... Because Superman and Batman were both 37. Wonder Woman came a few years later. So, and then it took until 2018 to get an actual, serious, empowering Wonder Woman movie. Like, it's just... Especially as popular as the Linda Carter TV series was. Like, it was literally the most popular TV show on television. And yet... Yeah. They were like, oh my gosh. Can women, we let a woman lead women, a movie? Yeah. Way too much of a risk. They only make up more than half the population of the earth. Speaking of, did you hear that Linda Carter is about yes. to sign for Wonder Woman 2? Yes. That does my heart so much. I know. Oh my gosh. It's just one of those wholesome things that like you just need to happen in the world, yeah. you know? Um, that being said, like if Incredibles had won, like I voted for Wonder Woman in mm-hmm. the end. If Incredibles had won... I would not be mad about it. No, and I'm not mad about Wonder Woman winning. Like, I would. The reason I even put that out there about the Incredibles is I was really torn about it until I talked to listener and future um, guest Rob Hutchison, and he kind of pointed out some stuff about the Incredibles that I hadn't really considered, and it just became very clear to me. Yeah, Um, and I and I loved Rob's points. Like Rob's points made me even more conflicted. (laughs) Yeah, they were really good points. And the main point he made was yes, like the Incredibles is a female-driven movie. Like, yes, there are lots of... Like, there's just as much male characters in The Incredibles as there is in Wonder Woman. Like, Wonder Woman's whole crew is men. It's just her. Well, and then not even just focusing on, you know, Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible, but, like, I always think of Violet, too, and how all of their powers as kids, like, reflect who they are in their life. Like, she's a teen, and her power is invisibility. It's like, And she puts up... uh, Force fields. Force fields. So yeah. People won't get too close. I mean, it's like, it just like is my heart. Mm-hmm. So either way, either way I would have gone, I did vote Wonder Woman. I did. Yeah. Because There's nothing wrong with that. That's did a very start a good I also think that anything Pixar is going to be well received for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like Pixar does no wrong. Yeah. Wonder Woman was an actual legitimate, which it's so annoying to me that I'm even saying this, but it was an actual risk. I mean, it was coming up. Her first appearance was in one of the most critically reviled movies of all time. But she was the best part. Like, let's be real here. Yeah. But it's like the fact that they were like, oh, I don't know if this will do well. I mean, come on. Yeah. And now the pendulum swinging the opposite direction, all because of Wonder Woman, where all that DC seems to want to greenlight right now at this point is women driven movies. Yeah. Which it's about time. Like that's not a bad thing. No. It's just it started movement. So I get why Wonder Woman wins. And the Incredibles for as tightly written as it is and like as strong as it is you know, front to back, it doesn't it it never hits the high that I felt when I was watching the No Man's Land sequence. Yeah. Like the No Man's Land sequence is one of the few times the superhero movie's given me legit chill bumps. Yeah. Um in fact, it might be the only one I can think of. I mean, and it's not even that scene alone, though. I mean, the scene on Thermoscura when all the Amazons are fighting. Yeah. Amazing. The scene where the town gets bombed or gassed. Yeah. And it's like all this orange dust and you can just see her. I mean, it's like. And she's legitimately bothered. No, oh, Wonder Woman. so good. Wonder Woman is a worthy entry into the Elite Yeah. Now it gets to face Logan. I don't even want to think about it. I don't know how to go I with vote. this. I'm I done. don't know how to do this because. My drawback, and I've been vocal on this the whole time, is Wonder Woman's third act keeps it keeps a great movie from being like a pantheon movie, mm-hmm. right? Logan's third act isn't that impressive. Hmm. I mean, I know it's depressing as like, hell. Like most of it spent Logan recovering in the desert. 
Yeah. And like him fighting a, a version of himself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I never want to watch Professor X die again. I, yeah. I the thing is, normally I'd be like, I'm gonna rewatch Logan. I don't know if I can. Yeah. It's so sad. Like uh, Logan versus Wonder Woman's interesting though because I think both movies like sneaky best moments like they both obviously have their like defining moments Mm -hmm. but like the sneaky best moments are the little character interactions like the interactions where um x-23 is yelling at logan in spanish in the truck and he's just taking the brunt of it yes it's such a good moment and then like the scene where diana eats ice cream for the first time or that she sees a baby yeah or when she she and steve's banter are also is also really great yeah, and that's what these movies are both. These movies both really get heavy at times. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're talking about a World War One movie versus like, like a Western last ride type movie. Yeah, where two beloved characters end up dying in the end, mm-hmm. but they have enough like charming character banter. I don't know. There's a lot here. Like, also there's like the tertiary characters that you kind of forgot existed. Like. You know, like Samir and Charlie and Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. like Charlie, like grappling with PTSD, and then Calabac and Logan. Yeah, like there's Val good, Benugai. yeah, there's good characters that or Caliban. I said Calabac, Caliban. There's good characters in both these movies that like are. I don't know. This is a tough matchup. I just think that I'm gonna quit now. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> this work. This is fine for me. <laughs> I think. Like, I, my, I, I, I liked Logan. I will never watch it again. That's what I'm struggling with. Logan, deep down, I know Logan's the better movie. Yeah. God, it's not a fun movie. I don't want to watch it ever again. I have no interest <laughs> in rewatching Logan. I would watch Wonder Woman right now. Yeah. Somebody asked me to. Me too. So. So does that, like, is that what our grounds, you know? Is that know. what's going to And if you go it? by incinerator logic, you're still kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Oh, if, if you, it's incinerator logic, you get rid of Logan. You think so? Yes. If you get rid of Logan, you lose the final Hugh Jackman performance. If you Wolverine. get rid of Wonder Woman, you never get Wonder Woman. I mean, there, we got a Wonder Woman sequel coming. Yeah, but if the first Wonder Woman never existed, they wouldn't be doing a sequel. I view incinerator logic as you just can't watch it from this point forward. Okay, well you're changing the rules now. I don't know. I you're don't know. You're changing the rules. I think that the I think Logan is like How cult- are they going to do a Wonder Woman 2 if Wonder Woman 1 never existed? It just already exists. No, you're changing the rules. I don't know how to do- You're asking me to quantify something I can't possibly quantify. Okay, well. So, that one stuff, I'm not going to make a decision on the podcast. I'm I'm going to probably end up voting Logan, but I don't feel overly good about it i'm never voting again well hopefully our devoted listeners do not hold the same sentiment as you um polling should be live already honestly yeah. by the time you see this it'll yeah. be live um we're going to have to push the voting back because we are late so voting will extend through next wednesday works for me so yeah we'll do that um so yeah that's it we will move on to our Vote wisely. Vote wisely. And we highly recommend, I know you all have nothing else to do, um, so we highly recommend rewatching films, if you don't remember. Like, the rewatch of Spider-Man 2, I can't even tell you how helpful it was. Mm -hmm. It made it very, it made it what seemed like a hard decision very easy for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Moving on to our non-spoiler fast-forward review of Rampage. Oh my god, where to begin? Where to begin? Um, This movie took a deconstructionist view 
of humanity. Like, oh my God. It, it really discussed the dichotomy of man and also how a gorilla could simulate sex with its fingers in Dwayne Johnson's general direction. Does that count as a spoiler? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish I, I would, how hard did I cringe? That's I wish I was question. joking about this. So putting it quickly, Rampage is an adaptation of one of the best arcade video games of all time um, from the 1980s. The concept of the video game was you controlled gigantic Godzilla-like monsters and destroyed the city. And someone decided that that could be adapted into a movie. I mean, why not? And the treatment they gave it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a zookeeper who specializes in giant apes. And one of his favorite apes um, accidentally touches a chemical that has fallen off of a satellite in space um, and transforms it into a giant version of himself. And also two more of those pods that the ape touched get touched by a wolf and an alligator and they become giant mutant versions of themselves as well. And that concludes with a gigantic stupid third act of Dwayne Johnson and the monsters fighting downtown. What's crazy is... I glossed over like all of the spoilerific parts, but I didn't. Get, I didn't lose anything on the movie. Like you miss nothing. Like you understand the movie now. I don't know. What do we say about this, Katie? Uh, one thing I will say: there's a surprisingly large amount of famous people in this movie. Like name known actors and actresses in this film yeah that signed up for this i mean i think they all signed up for it because they knew it was a rock movie and a rock movie is gonna sell a billion tickets yeah someone needs to sit Dwayne down and tell him to stop accepting so many projects do you think it's that or do you think he genuinely enjoys I, he's in he's constantly working he's in everything somebody needs to sit him down and be like you don't have to say yes to everything yeah you don't need to say yes to baywatch and you don't need to say yes to rampage yeah because you get you get Jumanji, and what was the movie he was in with Kevin Hart? Oh, oh my god! Here, I'll look it up. Okay, because it's gonna bother but me. But you get these movies where Dwayne Johnson finds really good avenues for him to like work, mm-hmm. and then you get movies like this that are just so over the top and bad. Well, not only that, but I think that it takes a lot of actual skill to make a movie with The Rock in it not charming. Like, he is just naturally very charismatic. Yeah. And his role in this movie, I mean, it didn't do The movie do was Central Intelligence. Central Intelligence. It was great. Yeah. Um, he, I was like, I love The Rock. I, I think he's great in basically everything he does. But, like, why do I not like his character at all? Yeah. You know? Well, and I knew that this movie was going to have its issues because in the days leading up to its release, they started billing it as a love letter to B monster, like B list monster movies. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not good. No. Because this was made for A list money. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. The movie's overstuffed. It's poorly written. The jokes are very flat. The CGI in times is terrible, which is almost inexcusable in today's day and age, especially Mm -hmm. for as much money as got pumped into this movie. And it's going to end up making its budget back, and people are going to forget they saw it. But wow, did this feel like like a, a waste of two hours? It's also weirdly violent. Weirdly violent. Weirdly uh, vulgar. Yeah. I was like, is this PG thirteen? Like, yeah. Did I miss something? And like the jokes are just they're they're punching down with their jokes. They're very childish. The, the gorilla flips off the rock repeatedly. Yeah. Like. And then the rock's like, I shouldn't have taught you that one. Like, as soon as you think that you don't have to watch that ever again, it happens like three more times. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't want to get too much into this movie. I love the rock. 
don't waste your time on this one. There's better things to do. Like, yeah. watch one of the superhero bracket movies. Yeah. Watch Spider-Man 2. Yeah. So, uh, moving on to a movie worth discussing. For sure. A Quiet Place. Um, you've probably seen the trailers for this. Um, most of you have seen it because it's making an obscene amount of money, especially relative to its initial budget. Um, a Quiet Place, this concept is some unknown monsters from places unknown um, are blind and track things by hearing. So the concept is in this post-apocalyptic world, you have to be as quiet as possible to try to survive. And the movie takes that very centralized, localized premise and explores it to like the 4,000th degree. Every way possible, yeah. Yeah, and it does a good job. I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. I still really liked it. I just saw people billing it as like the smartest horror movie in years. It's Mm -hmm. not that. Like, do you agree? So should we go through the plot? Yeah, so the plot, the movie opens with, uh, I think, 80 days into this apocalyptic scenario. Yeah. And the family is in a um, drugstore looking for some meds for their sick son. They have three children, that an older daughter, a middle son, and then, like, a baby, baby boy who's, like, running around. As they're leaving the store, the son tries to take a rocket uh like a battery powered rocket ship toy and the dad played by john krasinski who also directed and wrote the film immediately panics and like is trying to explain to his son using sign language that it's too loud mm-hmm. we can't do this um and then you find out his sister who's deaf mm-hmm. um for whatever reason pulls the batteries out of the toy and gives it back to the kid and the kid does what all four-year-old boys which would, would do which is immediately take the batteries his dad took out of it, hides them in his pocket. We advance a little in the movie. They're walking back home. The kid, for some reason, puts the batteries back into the rocket ship. It starts playing noise, and he gets killed on the road. Which was intense, by the way. I didn't think the kid was actually going to die. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. And so after that, the movie, plot-wise, really the movie, like that's kind of like it puts the plot in motion. But I wouldn't say it's like a linear plot at this point. It's more Mm -hmm. like just an expansion of this. Because after this, we jump forward, I think, three years. Is that what they said? I think it's like one. Okay. One and a half. It's not very long. We find out Emily Blunt, John Krasinski's real life wife, is pregnant. Um, So that creates some complications, obviously. The deaf daughter is racked with guilt over what happened. And so is John Krasinski. And it's clearly weighing on their relationship. And then you find out that they're John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are kind of raising their oldest son to start going out into the woods and learn how to, you know, provide for a family in the event that he needs to do so. The son is very scared of the wilderness, whereas the daughter wants to go out, probably out of her own guilt for what happened to her brother. Um, And after that, things just go haywire. Like, Krasinski and the son are out in the woods. The mom goes into labor. The daughter has gone off to be by her uh, baby brother's grave and they're all separated when the monsters attack while emily blunt's going into labor um which like i can't think of anything more upsetting <laughs> right which is terrifying yeah and we kind of get into this thing where we find out the deaf daughter's hearing aid that john krasinski has like crudely put together shorts out the aliens hearing they narrowly escape death twice yeah by that before the monsters invade their farm. And then it just becomes basically a survival horror movie. Very by the rails, honestly, through the third act. Um, Unfortunately, John Krasinski sacrifices himself to save his family. Yeah, rough. And the daughter puts together that it's her hearing aid that's saving her. So they play it over a loudspeaker and shoot the thing in the head of a shotgun. The end. There's the whole plot. Well, 
And then the more monsters are coming. More monsters are coming. And so it ends with Emily Blunt and her kids, like, prepping. Yeah. Like, they're ready to go to kill the monsters. Right. And so, as you can see, just by this general outline of the plot, it's not the deepest plot. It's really more of a concept that they said, we're going to fully realize and dig through this concept. Which I love. Which is, essentially, you can reduce the movie down to silence equals death. Mm-hmm. Um, Silent. Sound equals death. Sound equals death. Although, there were scenes, though... <laughs> So it was interesting. I saw a bunch of people's review that was like, it's so cool that they cast a deaf actress because she's like a superhero in this world. While I was watching it, I had the opposite reaction. I thought her being deaf actually made things more dangerous. Because she doesn't know if she's she making can't noise. Know she, she doesn't know if she's making noise. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting thing that I think a lot of people, at least in my opinion, were off beat on. Yeah. Like that the deafness is more of just another like lens to view this quiet world through i agree but it's not a superpower and the movie doesn't ever treat it as such Mm-mm. um but i do think that being said i think this was a very strong major debut for john krasinski he's actually directed two films which were pretty much panned really so yeah and th- so this is his first major release though michael bay produced it of all people like he's the one that bankrolled he's got it the money he's got the money this movie is making all the money in the world off, like, I think they made it for $15 million. Crazy. They made 54 in its first weekend. I mean, there's, like, two set pieces in the whole thing. So. Yeah. So, the, yeah, they made it on the cheap. So, it's already got getting a sequel treatment. Mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake. So, I... This is an interesting conversation that we're just we're just going right into yeah. it. Um, I agree with you. I like that this movie was so contained... And mm-hmm. we, it, it kind of reminded me of like a John Wick thing. Where they didn't explain stuff that didn't pertain. They didn't explain the monsters. They didn't explain where they came from. They didn't, you know, they didn't need to expand on that. You don't actually know if the family survives. Like, yeah. it ends with them, like Emily, Ga- Emily Blunt, like cocking her gun, like ready to go. But you don't know. Yeah. You know, and, and so I like that. Like, to me, that's what, that's those elements are part of what makes it so good and why mm-hmm. so many people are singing its praises right now. Yeah. And so making a sequel, it's like it kind of undoes everything that it had not set up. Do you get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Also, is so John Krasinski is going to be dead in the sequel, right? Yeah. It seems weird. Yeah. You're like, so, that That also defeats the whole thing. Yeah. Like his, his sacrifice. To protect them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's back up a little and kind of okay. talk about some thematic stuff and stuff. For like, sure the overall movie um in general kind of what were some of your big takeaways from the movie uh like what do you mean like like i don't know what what's something that you really liked about the movie um okay one of my takeaways um and this is something that i've heard a lot from critics is that the monster um design is really cool like they're kind of like big insects yeah um kind of alien looking um but what sets them apart for me is it it's like their whole head is like one big like eardrum Mm -hmm. and so that's why sound to me it was as i was watching it sound like tortures them which is why they go out to kill anything making sound right because their their whole design is like so sensitive to it so i liked that and there's some good like there's some good close-ups on the monsters without it looking too fake yeah. You know, too cheesy. Like, they still look pretty realistic even when you see them up close. A lot of the time, the monster is only as effective as it, like, it's only effective if you can't see it very well. 
Yeah. Because it's scarier if you can't see it. But these were still scary when you could. Mm-hmm. I do think once we saw the monsters, I thought the movie lost some of its luster, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought the movie was much more scary when it was scary and just in general, everything worked better when we were just hanging on that sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Like when we were really worried about the implication of the sound. Once we saw the monster, I felt like that was lost to a degree. Like I once still... we went from like the casual like apocalypse scenario to yeah. more of a survival horror type genre, I think is when the movie went from being like like the first like forty minutes of the movie, I was captivated, mm-hmm. and then I think the second half really kind of drew me out and took me from like. This is one of the best horror movies I've seen in a while. That that was a good movie. See, and I think it's funny you say that too because I like to me the monsters are not the scariest part like of the movie. There are other parts and other scenes in the movie that are like a thousand times scarier than the actual monsters. Mm-hmm. Like when she's in the bathtub and is about to give birth, and you are just like hating everything for her, yeah. like just dreading everything for her. It's like, how is she going to do this? Mm-hmm. Um terrifying and like yes the monster sort of in the background but like you said it's more the sense of dread yeah the scene where they're trapped in the corn mill what would you call that thing the grain elevator sure when they're trapped in the grain elevator and the kids are basically drowning Drowning. in the grain yeah that is terrifying i didn't like that at all oh my god and then when the metal is falling on them it's like and all of that happens without the monster you know what i mean Mm -hmm. no so i think that First of all, I think the dread was the best thing that they set up. I also thought that Krasinski was very smart in how he like played with the character's actions. Like the opening scene of the movie, for instance, when they're raiding this um, pharmacy, we see her set the pill bottle on its side first so the pills won't jumble when she's reaching f- through it. Yeah. Little things like that. Like he has everything planned out. Like this shows that he has a definite. A- eye for detail Mm -hmm. and maybe this is why the horror genre attracted him because Mm -hmm. horror is one of the few genres where you can just take a central idea and fully explore it like you can take an idea and make a monster out of it which is what he did here it can be simple that sound equals death and he created a monster out of that yeah like you don't so that worked for me um i i think it's interesting because i saw so many people like this is the quietest movie in years i didn't think this movie was all that quiet Mm -hmm. i just thought it was smart and how it wasn't quiet like the the rustling of the leaves the like the soft footfalls um when something breaks it's exceptionally loud the only time i jumped in the whole movie was when the lamp broke right at the very beginning <laughs> like this movie is really loud it's just yeah. ambient noise mm-hmm. which works for me um because i kept seeing reviews that are like make sure you see this in a silent theater and all this stuff yeah. and to be honest uh, that movie's not as quiet as people think it is mm-hmm. like and they definitely play up you know like the ho- like the horror the typical horror instruments like that shrink yeah so sound when something bad happens like there's a scene where a raccoon jumps off the roof which is totally intended for jump scare yeah and it so i do think it's interesting that i think a lot of people's perception of the movie isn't quite what i got out of it yeah not in a good or a bad way just how i viewed it i also like too that like in the beginning of the movie you can tell like they show John Krasinski climbing to the top of that little grain elevator or mm-hmm. whatever, shining a light, and you can see... Lights the fire on top. Yes. Yeah. And you can see there's, like, kind of in the outskirts of the of these woods, there's a community. Yeah. And so they're not the only ones. It's not like, oh, this is the only family living in right. the entire area. Like, there are it's other not, families. It's not it comes at night in that instance. Exactly. However, at the end of the movie, when the kids get, climb up and shine a light, there's no more lights. And so you And you can realize see, the animals have picked off the neighbors yes like the monsters have 
have finally, yeah, yeah, made their way. Which that's something that as when I was first watching the movie, you know, you you encounter this family. Jake said, like I think it's seventy or eighty days in, mm-hmm. so just a couple months, not very long. And then you jump forward to about two years in, and you're like, how are you guys still alive? Like, yeah. You know, well, it's because I learned how to live in silence because I have a deaf daughter. Like well, they were yeah. equipped to do this. Yeah. Well, then it also shows, though, like, yes, they're still alive, but barely. Like yeah. the monsters have already picked off everyone around them. Right. So it's only a matter of time until they attack the farm, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say this that my biggest drawback with this movie, Krasinski, and this may be a fault of like this being his first major release. Yeah. He spoon-fed the audience too much at times, which is weird uh-huh. in that he didn't feel – he did something smart where he didn't feel the need to over-explain the monsters. The monsters just are. But then he'll do things like put a whiteboard in the in his office that Let's says – Let's talk about the three, whiteboard. Yeah, the whiteboard is egregious where it says like three confirmed monsters and what are their weakness? Question mark. And he's put that in a big square. Like, And then there's like newspaper clippings all over the wall that says monsters prey on sound. Like – like, come on, John. Like, we can put this together. You don't have to, like, plaster it all over your office for us to understand. And they show the whiteboard, like, 15 times yeah, throughout the movie. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like, I could maybe, like, understand if you are part of... Like, I've never been a part of a freaking apocalypse. I don't know how mm-hmm. to handle it. But also, like, maybe, you know, if you're living in that world, putting these very simple ideas down on a whiteboard helps you kind of make some sense out of it. So, like, when I first saw it, I was annoyed with it. And then I forgave it but then when he showed it 27 more times i was like okay we get it right we get it and it seemed like he was too scared that the audience would lose track of things yeah because he was setting up and i don't know if you would call it a twist ending but kind of just the revelation at the end Mm -hmm. that like her hearing aid that her dad's been working on the whole movie ends up saving him Mm -hmm. the hearing aid that she never wanted um ends up saving him and i think he was so worried that that the punch of that moment wouldn't work if you didn't remember that that you know yeah like even put uh monsters armored question mark (laughs) yeah (laughs) well and the thing is too like i i do agree that i think that's like kind of a first big movie thing having never directed a movie i'm assuming that's what the case was yeah well and then on top of that like for this being his first big movie debut like it's a tough concept like doing a movie where it's like all about sound and they're communicating via sign language and like that in itself is kind of a big thing to tackle Mm -hmm. and so I would get why he wouldn't want anyone to be lost yeah but it was for I think for like a little bit more seasoned moviegoers you might be like we get it like okay I did like the exploration of like the family's residual issues over this death though. Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of horror movies move too quickly. Like the son's death in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of horror movies, a death happens and they just move past it. And Mm -hmm. I get that like horror movies kind of like rely on desensitization. Yeah. Nice. This movie, like the whole family got kind of fractured by this, like Mm -hmm. to the degree that John Krasinski was almost annoyingly hangdog through the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Like he's not a real likable character. He's so handsome though. He is really handsome, but I thought Emily Blunt did a much better job. And granted, Krasinski wrote this, so it's weird that I'm critiquing this, but mm-hmm. I thought Emily Blunt did a much better job of, like, clearly, like, she was not over the death of her, you know, baby boy. Yeah. But she's shown through in a likable way at points, especially when she's, like, helping her son do homework. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe that's just Emily Blunt's charismatic as hell. That, and I'm thinking maybe, too, like, you know what John Krasinski's going through, and I think 
at the very end when he finally, I don't want to say redeems himself, but when you finally get that emotional connection with him that when he's telling his daughter, like, I've always loved you and then dies. Uh Like, I think just getting that connection with him and then him dying makes his death that much more like that sucked. You know what I mean? Which that's funny. You make a good point because I'm critiquing the character as not being likable, but I was deeply bothered when he died. I think it's because up until that, like it takes a while for him to grow up to that point where you're like, he's a good dad. Like he's just trying his best. And then of course he's dead and you're like that. Yeah. Didn't feel good. Which is a good, which is a good tenant of the movie. Like Mm -hmm. they're trying to work through this grief in a world where you're not allowed to discuss the grief. Like they physically can't talk through this horrible thing that happened to their family so yeah. they all just have to internalize it and none of them internalize it all that well mm-hmm. which is an interesting conceit um i did like so the baby i almost was thinking about this during the movie mm-hmm. they're having a baby right mm-hmm. there might have been a better movie just them coming to grips with the fact of are we gonna have this baby i think that gets too it's probably religious yeah too much yeah, and it probably wouldn't have been accepted because as i was thinking i was like it's wildly irresponsible to have this child yeah but also we we had talked about this too though she probably didn't know she was pregnant yeah. for a while that's true how would you know like her having this child is putting literally like this one child is going to put five people's lives in jeopardy yeah and well, not just in jeopardy like it's certainly the, baby, the other baby's dead no two kids john emily and the new baby oh new baby yeah. okay you're right so and, like, I get, like, there's also the issue that there's, like, not a real... S- if you chose not to have a baby, there's not a way to not do that safely mm-hmm. in this world. So there was that. Um, but I was just thinking about that. I was like, this is a wildly irresponsible decision. But that adds to the... In- like, her being pregnant is the tension. Right. And I actually... Because you know there's a day that this is, like, things are going to get really shitty. Right. And it's on her due date. <laughs> To to a degree, I actually appreciated that because I think one of like one of the favorite things about you know the survival horror genre, or mm-hmm. the post apocalyptic genre, is you love to put yourself in the characters' footsteps and try to think through the problem better than they do. I think that's why people still watch The Walking Dead. Like it's, I know that I would die so quick, right? In the but apocalypse. people love to be like like critique like that decision in The Walking Dead was stupid, and here's how you do it right. I think that A Quiet Place was much more like these are still people. Even in a post-apocalyptic world where it makes no sense to have a child because kids are loud and these things are going to kill it immediately, these are still people that just want to have a normalcy. Yeah. And perhaps bringing a baby into the world can help them overcome the grief of losing their child early on. So that was an interesting humanizing element to the family that I think was needed, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm critiquing it from, like, a logic standpoint, but from a thematic screenwriting standpoint, I really enjoy that decision. Mm -hmm. Also, the movie was not overly violent. At no, all. Or not gory. at all. In fact, the only blood I can think of is totally unrelated to the monsters. It's just a really human element of childbirth, which I thought was that there was a reason that that was on screen, right? Like that was what when I saw the bathtub scene with all the blood, right? I was like, this is an example of the gun on stage where Krasinski has purposely put this into the screenplay and it's put it on screen. And I thought it was interesting that like. I don't know. He was he never showed violence from the monsters, like even when they're killing things, and he showed blood here. Yeah. What like I think he was showing that even in like I don't know what he was trying. To, the way I took that particular scene is he was trying to show as a filmmaker like even like the best parts of life are a little bit bloody. Mm. Like I know that that may be a little too on the nose, but like there's got to be a reason for it, right? I mean, yeah, I took it as like 
I mean, he finds the bloody bathtub without her. But they and even show she's dead. They even show which maybe it was setting that up. But they when she's by herself, they show the blood in the bathtub. That's true. Yeah. Which maybe yeah. it was just setting up like like when he sees the blood on the mirror. And like, will the baby survive? Yeah. Like, is this her giving birth or? Which is it I like did have pre- a split second where I was wondering, did she miscarry? Exactly. Yeah. So maybe that was it. I don't know. I thought that was very interesting. Like, even when the old people in the woods die, you don't see any blood. You, I mean, you well, see you some. see it a little bit on her. You don't see any yeah. on him. Um, was that was an interesting scene. I saw some scene. organs. So <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting scene. By the way, the old yeah. people. I couldn't get. What was he trying to tell us? I mean, I think it's that, I mean, Was everyone, he just trying to show that they were closing? I, I took it to be he was just trying to show that the monsters are getting closer. I think so, because that makes more sense when you realize there's no more lights. Yeah. Other than uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's house. Yeah. And, um, and also that people are giving up. Like, what's the point? Yeah. You know? An older, wiser couple, like, saw the futility of what they were doing. Yeah. And like, so everyone's, decided, yeah. everyone's vulnerable in this world. Right. Young to old. I do question this. Okay. We know for a fact, like the characters, not just the audience, but the characters within the movie know for a fact that these things hunt on sound. Mm -hmm. Why would they not think to like that some sort of audio feedback or shrieking sound would cause the monster immense pain if they're hearing sensitive? I mean, I don't think anyone was going to risk that. Like, hey, let's just test this out. Like, I'm just thinking about like, (laughs) we know how dog whistles work, right? Yeah. And we know that, like, super high-pitched noise really hurt dogs' ears, and they whine and cry. Okay. Like, hence why they howl at sirens. So it would serve to figure, like, the, I feel like the hearing aid revelation should have came about a little earlier. I mean, do you really think, first of all, is there anyone who needs a hearing aid? Like, I don't think deafness is... Two elderly couples might. But also, not necessarily. Yeah, that's true. Um... Also, I don't think anyone in this world would be willing to risk it. Like, oh, hey, this could be the cure. It also could kill my entire family. Like, yeah. why would you do that? That's fair. I did those. I'm glad we came back to the hearing aid because we both had the same thought when it came out. It, this movie reminded us both of signs. Yeah. So it's like signs in a quiet place had a child. Or not a quiet place. I was like, what? Signs and it comes at night had a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think this movie is better than signs. And I really okay. like the movie Signs. I thought this movie's revelation that, like, the little things inside this family mattered. Mm-hmm. Mattered more. Yeah. Um, I didn't put it on the I same I feel like level. the stakes are higher. Yeah. I felt like A Quiet Place had a, a better understanding of, like, dread and, like, the reward that that can set up. I don't know. Yeah, But it did remind me a lot of Signs. Yeah. I, I do think – I did think it was odd. So there were parts – I don't know if it was, it was just a screenwriting flaw – or what? It seems like sometimes I forgot that like any sound can trigger these creatures, right? Okay. And oh. like the scene where the sun runs through the cornfield and then runs into the tractor and falls down, and none of the monsters come to get him. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't understand that. Well, two of the monsters weren't there. One of the monsters was attack. Well, tra- sort of stalking Emily Blunt. That's fair. But also, you're like he's not that far. Yeah, like the, Emily Blunt's making very minor noises, and then you hear a kid tearing through a cornfield. I think that's supposed to add to your stress, though. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was where the tension was getting to, like, a tipping point, too. Yeah. Was, like, I was, like, this is this is ver- going from, like, well set up to, like, almost painful. Like, all, all of them are going to die. <laughs> um, I don't know how to critique this particular aspect of it. I felt like they should have 
like the daughter should have figured out what was going on with the hearing aid after the first time. And instead it took her like three times. And she took the hearing aid out at one point, which I get it was causing her pain in the truck. But this was like, and granted, so how old did you peg the daughter for? Like 15? No. Not that Like old. 12. Okay. I had, I pegged her a little older. So maybe that's the, maybe that's why I'm being more critical. Yeah. As I'm assuming she should have figured that out. But at 12, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Overall, though, I'm doing a lot of nitpicking. It's it. My expectations were higher than probably what they should have been. It's a very good horror movie. Yeah. It's just not a. It's not the smartest horror movie. I agree with you. I do. I do appreciate it. It's very different. You definitely haven't seen something like it. Like it'll maybe like it reminded us of Signs, but it's very original, very mm-hmm. unique. Um, I like that a lot of the scares don't even have to do with the monsters. You know, it's just like living in the scary world. Like the world itself is just like really scary. No, I liked the scene too where the son was like visibly panicked about having to go out with his dad. Yeah. Like, like I thought that was a nice touch. Like people aren't going to be instinctually brave to go out. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was nice that it was the son who was really struggling with this and just wanted to stay home with his mom. Yeah. Which by the way, that scene with him and Emily Blunt right before he leaves and she's being like so tender with him. Oh my God. I was like. Can Emily Blunt be my mom too? Like, she's so great. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I overall I agree with you. I thought it was I thought it was a really strong movie. I did think it was a little bit heavy handed mm-hmm. in a lot of its. Um, what am I thinking? Like, like tell like little tell. Yeah. It had, it had waterfall. it told us too much instead of showing yeah. us. Yeah. Um. And that's always the trouble, though, with these apocalypse scenarios is how do you set up your world as quickly as possible so mm-hmm. you can jump right in. And he did. I mean, yeah. I thought it was really well paced. Right. And so I probably the best example of that that I've seen done actually was a movie with Emily Blunt in it, which was Edge of Tomorrow, where they set it up with news clips at the beginning of the movie yeah. just to drop you in. And it doesn't they do it behind the credits so it doesn't really take you out. So maybe if that's the gold standard though he wasn't too far off that like he was just showing newspapers yeah it just it felt a little heavy-handed you're right and maybe we're critical of how heavy-handed it was because of how deft he was in other areas yeah like he didn't spell out too much about what the daughter and john krasinski's like friction was rooted in like Mm -hmm. he let the audience kind of extrapolate and understand that themselves same with the monsters Mm -hmm. um i will say i have no idea how actor directors do it like how he starred in 75, 80% of this movie and directed the entire thing. How? How is that possible? Yeah, I mean, we've seen people try it and they almost all, it almost always never goes as well as it probably should have. I mean, you have to be crazy talented to be able to execute both of those things so well. Well. Yeah, no, Krasinski is now, I mean, he, this movie is going to make like 10 times its budget. Yeah. Like, Krasinski's an A-list director now, whether he likes it or not. Hey, hey. He deserves so, it. I'm excited to see his next project. Yeah, me too. Especially now that he'll be a little more seasoned and have his feet underneath him. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Uh, um, yeah. I don't think we, I think that's every thought I've got on it. Uh, definitely recommend. I do recommend, I do recommend you I see it. I feel like it. it'll be in theaters for a little and while longer. Like, the, like, yeah. The, oh, it's going to be in theaters a while. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's going to hold nicely in like that fifth fifth place spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, like Twitter movement that's like, go see this in the quietest theater you can find. Don't just go see that. it in a the theater. Just go see it. it. Yeah, just go see the movie. Um, so, yeah. 
I think that'll wrap it up. So we uh, have the Elite Eight live on the website right now, extendedcutpodcast.com slash bracket. You can go vote um, through next Wednesday, so extending that timeline a little bit further. Um, Now you can do your research, watch some movies if you want, um, make your informed decision, um, painstaking informed decision. That's how it will be for me. Yeah. Uh, you can always follow us on Twitter at Extended Cut Pod. Me and Jake, you know where to find us. And thank you all for listening. We will see you next week. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.